free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. It is Sean Zock, joined in person this week for the drop zone, live from L.A., with Dylan DeChair and James Colgan, we have a special third guest. James is kind of the media guru at golf.com, uh, among other things, and he's joining us on a Bold Predictions podcast. So, you know, if you were there for his super bold take that Daniel Berger would win the Masters last year, just know that he's doubling down this year with two takes. Each of us are going to have multiple takes, and uh, then we're going to dive into James's uh, his beat, which is what golf media is going to look like this year. So James, how do you feel about that introduction? Well, all I'll say is I think I set the bar in a very reasonable place <laughs> yeah, to very clear low. for 2023. Um, sea level take. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a lukewarm take that aged like, you know, warm milk. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about my ability to, about my ability to top that off this year. And we'll see. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's some media spice to add in there at the end, too. All right. Well, James's take last year was that Daniel Berger would win the Masters, and that did not happen. And I don't think it came particularly close. can't remember where he finished, uh, but we didn't think about him on the weekend. Dylan, what was your take, bold prediction for last year? My take was that by the end of the year, so at the end of 2022, the top three players in the world ranking were all going to be Europeans. And I actually specified um, that that would be world number one, John Rom, world number two, Victor Hovland, world number three, Rory McIlroy. I was really pretty high on Hov after uh, he won the Young hero, Hove. won the uh, Mayakoba. Yeah. Did not pan out that way. The island boy. John Rom and Rory both in the top five. But Hovland uh, just snuck inside the top 10 at the end of the year. So I don't know. I'd give my, not like a flop. I would give that yeah. like a, a B minus. Yeah. Uh, well, this podcast episode, we like to do it every single year in early January because uh, that's the time to make predictions and resolutions and all that jazz. And in the past, we have been held up by Luke Curtinine, who has left us for other pastures. and his previous takes were that the PGA tour would have, or pro golf would have some sort of unionization, which basically became true. Great take in hindsight. Phenomenal. And, uh, the year before that, he, uh, guessed that we would see a fist fight on the PGA tour. And in some ways we saw fighting, but just not with their fists between Bryson and Brooks. So Luke, uh, we've lost him for this episode. It's too bad. Uh, but we're going to try to make up for it. My take last year, gosh, was that Brooks Kepka would be the one to reach the career grand slam, which would require him winning the masters and the British open and miss the cuts in maybe both, at least the first. So not even close, Sean, but that's why these takes are bold. They're probably not going to happen, but they might. Unless you're Luke. At which point, they probably will have. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, who wants to get started? James, why don't you give us your first bold prediction? Can we snake year? draft this? Is, yes. that a, is that fair? Sure, sure. you can go All first right. and last. I'm going to save my best for last. All right. But I'm going to give my first bold take of 2023 is that we are going to see a reverse defection 
from Live Golf to the PGA Tour. Hell yeah. Great take. Who? <laughs> it's Let's hard dial it in. well so it's hard it's hard it's hard to put a to put a name to it because we don't know what the contract details are for so many of these players yes a lot of them signed on for multiple year agreements and we also don't know how ironclad the legal language is so it's sort of difficult to know from that i generally would tend to think it's going to be a middle of the pack type player um i don't know maybe can we'll this can this happen in november like, could it happen after this live season? Because I, I think that, that it's actually, I think that that's a bold take and also bound to happen. I because think there are a lot of two-year contracts that are going to end in October. And there's going to be some remorse at like, where the hell am I now? What ranking do I have? Yeah, I, I guess I guess the incentive is to stay until the end of the season. But I was actually thinking it was going to be before that. Okay. I think you're going to get a lot of guys that are that are taking stock of where this league is 12 months after it was officially founded. Yeah. And I think what some guys are going to do is an honest assessment of of where the future lies. And right now, we haven't gotten a lot of indication from Liv that things are progressing mm-hmm. towards profitability or towards really making any sort of sense financially. And so for someone like Peter Uline, who's, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, floating around in the, in the middle zone, I, th- Dude, I think he's thriving at live. Well, yeah. But as far as name brand recognition sure. is concerned, yeah, middle for, player, for yeah. someone like him, as he's looking around, you know, Brooks Kepka is always going to have a job in golf. It doesn't matter what happens with live. But Peter Uline might not always have a job with golf. <laughs> and so to turn yourself around and maybe, you know, he might get re- a job at Titleist. <laughs> maybe, maybe reverse uh reverse course a little bit and yeah. and swear your fealty to the PGA tour. I yeah. think the tour would be more than happy to jump on that. It would be such a PR win. I think for that's them. a really, really good point. The last point is because at this point, the the first tee shots at Centurion Club went up in the air. Jay Monahan sent out his suspensions for all the PGA Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, and associated players and said, you're suspended from the PGA Tour. And there was threats that it would be lifetime, all-time bans. And, like, that was so sudden. And I just don't think live players necessarily saw all of that coming to the extent that it has been, um, I guess, handed down. And a guy like James Pyatt, I think his contract is for two years. That was another name I was considering. I think he could. <laughs> I think he could be like, "Hey, I did my time, PJ Tour. Like, I'm happy to play the Corn Ferry Tour and kind of get back in the good graces because this live thing might not be going in the right direction." Um, now, James Pyatt's also weird because he hasn't really done anything on the live tour. He's making fine money. <laughs> uh, someone like Hudson Swafford, maybe, who played poorly on live is a multi-time PGA Tour winner, is really good friends with a lot of guys that are staying on the PGA Tour. Does he feel like like he's in a great spot at live? Is he reaching a lot of happiness over there? I don't know. I think it's a good take. Here's the thing. To this point, the PGA Tour has basically said, and specifically Jay Monahan has said, there's not really a, a way back. There are lengthy suspensions, and maybe once you serve those, but I don't know. The guy, the suspensions really keep piling up, so that they add up to essentially a life. They can only thing. add to the suspensions if you are a current PGA Tour member, and none of these guys. Oh, are. that's interesting, right? How could how could the PGA Tour suspend Hudson Swafford for playing the next live event? I'll admit it would be pretty sick if James Pyatt came back, played one round of like the Valspar. 
and then got suspended for five years by, by the PGA <laughs> Tour. <laughs> sure. Uh, I think this is a fine take, James. I, I kind of want you to put your hang your hat on one player, though. Who's the player? Uh, all right. I'll take Peter Uline. I think wow. I think he's currently it's, suing the PGA Tour. So this would be a true, uh, <laughs> a true Welcome awkward back. marriage. <laughs> Welcome back to the family, Peter. He's he's fringe enough that that it makes sense for him from a business perspective. And the one other thing I wanted to say about this, the tour has proven to this point, they're very willing to talk a big game as far as the suspensions are concerned. We haven't seen them actually have to execute on that. And we haven't seen them actually have to have to put it in writing that they are keeping someone out of a tournament. Um, I think if a player came back from live and said, I've seen the wrong in my ways, I do think that they that they would welcome him back with open So one last thing on this, not to get like too literal, because I know this is the Bold Predictions podcast, but yesterday got to be part of this small group meeting with Jay Monahan, and someone said, is there a way back for these guys? And what Jay said, he said, listen, my position on that has not changed. I think that those players have made their decision and they're there. I'm doing everything I can with the players that are members of the PGA Tour and committed to the tour, but nothing's changed on that front. I don't have anything new to add. So yeah. he's not like doubling down on saying no way, never. Yeah, but That's what he's supposed to say right now, though, right? Lawsuits, yes. everything pending. Um, all right, James. I will tip my cap if that becomes true. Dylan, what is your what is the softest of your two takes? This is a tip of the cap to Luke Curtinine. Uh, throwing it back to two years ago when he predicted a fight, I am predicting a locker room altercation between a live and PGA Tour player yes. at one of this year's major championships. A little bit of a dust-up. I mean, we've already heard rumors of, you know... Rory and, and Sergio. Well, yeah, Sergio uh, going off on people in a locker room uh, on the Euro Tour last summer. This year it gets real. I'm not sure if it gets to, you know, maybe in maybe not quite Kessler Corain territory <laughs> uh, at the President's Cup, but something that has everyone talking about. Holy shit! Did you see what happened in the locker room? All right, Dylan. You know what we do on these podcasts? We ask for specifics. Tell me why it's Sergio and who is he bitching against at oh, the man. locker room in Augusta? Can I, I can step in here and and offer a location for this? Oh, where's your location? The Champions Dinner. It is happening at the PGA Championship. Ooh, we're going up oh, to Western the PGA New York. Champions Dinner. Things are getting rowdy. This is the land where people plunge their themselves through tables. <laughs> this is the place where people order garbage plates, and that's a that's a local delicacy to eat. That's where we're gonna get our altercation. Cold. If it's gonna people happen, be it'll be cold. after thirty five Labats, and you know maybe. <laughs> Maybe a wind chill in the in the upper twenties on Tuesday of tournament week. I think we're gonna get the temperatures rising in the locker room. There's gonna be a lot of time to talk. That's when we're gonna get it. It really it actually is a great question of like who who is sort of chesty enough to actually put themselves in this position on either side. Is Bryson? Is Bryson No, I don't think so. He's not really a fighter when no. it comes and down Bryson to And Bryson really likes being liked. So yeah. I, I don't think so. Is Brooks. Yes. No yeah. doubt. I could see Brooks getting in someone's face. Yes. Uh, so Brooks is a good opportunity. Sergio. Sergio, for sure, in the right circumstance. 
Taylor Gooch seems like a potential wild card. He is, <laughs> he's kind of been a yeah. He's pretty forthright. A more passionate liver than I would have thought. Um, Patrick Reed is an interesting one because mm. clearly he, uh, my legal advisors are are, are saying. <laughs> Don't Clearly, Patrick Reed is a very balanced uh, gentleman, and so would not probably be involved in an altercation. Yeah, I don't see it. Um, Paul Casey? No. Oh, all right. Kevin Na? No. Jason Kokrak? Going all no, in? No, doesn't care enough. Wow. DJ? No. Definitely not. <laughs> Mark Leishman? Maybe. No, stop it. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, like it's like Lee Westwood. And Poulter. Oh. Emboldened by each other. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe it's like a tag team thing. It would have to be with Rory, wouldn't it? Yeah. And uh, That and, makes me but, a little bit sad, these old chums. It's okay, though, because Rory's going to have his boys, his young spry JT and Spieth alongside him. Here's the question. When push comes to literal shove, does John Rahm have Rory's back? John Rahm is I a don't classic. Know. He's the classic dude in the middle of the fight, pushing people away from both yeah, sides. Yeah, classic. I classic. think that's true. I don't think I don't think Rambo stands behind Rory with his fists up. Wow, we are getting into some wild speculation territory yeah. here. <laughs> well, that's what you get on this podcast. Uh, I, I really like that, Dylan. Thank you. Um, I think it has to happen at one of the first two majors of the year because by the end we're just not going to care that much. We're going to be too too proper to do it at Royal Liverpool. And well, too proper to do it at Augusta National too, right? So I think James could be right. But Augusta is the actual like first. Oak Hill. But we need a hot day. I mean, the statistics Why show. Why does it have to be hot? Statistics show young male violence skyrockets in warm temperatures. Interesting. I could tell you after the seventh straight Someone month of winter that. in upstate New York, that's... Uh, there, there's plenty of rage coming from all sides. So, <laughs> Sean, what do you got? All right. This is the one I maybe enjoy the most. It's like a multi-leg parlay kind of thing that ultimately leads to, to a solid take. But it's going to be a bad capital B-A-D year for Augusta National. How so? Say more. Did you notice those letters? Bryson DeChambeau, his initials. B-A-D. Bryson going to win at Augusta National, which will be bad for the Masters because he's a liver. The focus during the Champions Dinner that week is going to be bad. It's going to be all about the animosity between what Phil's going to say to Tiger, what Ridley's going to say in his address to everybody. It's going to be bad that day. The Department of Justice investigation, Augusta National is involved deeply in that, and they are in the lawsuits. And I think we're going to find out in the discovery of the Live versus PGA Tour lawsuits that there was involvement from representatives of Augusta National. It could be small involvement, but I think it will be more significant than maybe we would have expected. And Augusta doesn't like to be involved with lawsuits, depositions, anything of that sort. And thirdly, because I keep hearing this in my email inbox, I think the ratings are going to take a hit. I think... Everyone looking at the Masters as this kind of civil war. It ruins the pageantry that we believe of Magnolia Lane and springtime and all these good vibes. It's going to be like you'd think it would maybe would be good ratings, but instead Tiger's probably not going to play that well. There's going to be more chaos than like 
ceremony, if you will. And as a result, the ratings will not be that great. Does Augusta National care about ratings? Maybe, maybe not. So overall we, bad year for Augusta. We could talk about the the ratings side of things when we get to our little media conversation later. But yeah, the way things are structured currently, Doesn't I matter. don't think Augusta cares about the ratings. <laughs> and I don't think CBS cares about the ratings either, surprisingly. Okay. Or I mean, of course they care about them, but I don't relative to other events, I yeah. don't think quite as much. Um, but the question I wanted to ask you is, and this is a little bit of a math problem. What is Bryson's winning score relative to the par he set at Augusta <laughs> National, par 67? Uh, two over. <laughs> Seriously, relative Finally, to his par? Finally, a test to par at Augusta National. Yeah, so well, we've been eight, fighting for, for all under, these years. I think that would make it. Uh, no, I just, I think everyone has forgotten about Bryson, which leaves room for a, a pretty drastic, incredible return. Uh, two years ago, we were shouting that he was going to burn the place to the ground, right? And I just, I think we've we've given up on Bryson because we wanted to. There was a lot of good riddance when he went to live and a lot of good riddance when he lost to Brooks and people are just like, just go do your YouTube thing, Bryson. No one really you know, cares about it. The PGA Tour staffers were reported to being like happy with him and Patrick Reed living, leaving for live. And so I think Bryson has, opportunity for a huge rebound and overall the masters is going to have too weird of a vibe that it will be bad bad for augusta National. question for you guys sort of just a corollary here because i've been thinking about this a lot as purses go up everywhere doesn't it feel like the first place prize at the masters is, is low extraordinarily low <laughs> yeah it totally is what is it 2.7 mil last year. I don't think they've announced it for this year. But that's a, what, a $15 million purse? Well, that's the exact same prize that was handed out yesterday at the Century Tournament of Champions. Um, Which has 30, 39 very willing and capable players, and that's about what they got. Yeah, so I think, it was, I think it was a $15 million purse. So, yeah, again, the same as Century. Mm -hmm. The thing is, Augusta doesn't really like to be told what to do. Nope. They very much don't. But it feels like at some point in the next couple of years, behind the scenes, some strings are going to get pulled and the winner is going to get like five mil. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. Maybe that's a If I was running the tournament, I would do that because, ca you know, cash is king. If you want to be the best, most prestigious golf tournament in the world, there's an arms race happening, and you kind of do have to keep up. I do wonder if they will start to extend their field a little bit because how many ways can you make your tournament stronger? Like you just said, one, bigger purse. Um, the rest of the world, in some ways, are going to be catching up to the presentation of the Masters with every single shot being shown. And uh, I just – Augusta has – 60 players playing in its event that can win the tournament right 60 good players and like 25 that are just not quite there and I, there i think there could be pressure there on them to take a, a step in the positive direction especially amid live when people are wondering about oh your qualifications who's allowed at these events they could go all in and be like yeah we're going to take the top 80 on the pga tour that would be like a a, a double-edged sword that was just master's predictions. Yeah. Kind of like it. All right. Let's move on then. I guess you you are up again. Oh, okay. Snake yeah. Draft Snake style. draft. All right. This one, this one I 
I also I admire your first prediction in the sense that I'm I'm sorry you won't be joining us at Augusta this year, but me? Yeah. Why? Well, I'm not sure you'll be invited into the grounds predicting a bad year for the people. <laughs> they don't give a damn. Um, bold prediction. Tiger is going to win an event this year. Where? It's not going to happen in April at Augusta. It's not going to happen in May in Rochester. It's not going to happen in June in LA. It's not going to happen in July Oh, at Royal Liverpool. It's not going to happen in August. Are you taking us all the way to the PNC, Father Son Championship? taking you to December in Orlando. <laughs> Tiger and Charlie. They almost won it two years ago. They were in the hunt for a brief hot minute this year. They're winning the PNC by three on the back of Charlie Woods. There will be no plantar fasciitis holding Tiger down in 11 months. His game will be tight. He'll have had a solid year making cuts on his own. Uh, Charlie's now like thriving with the interviews. He's getting comfortable. It won't be as much of like a, you know, treating these guys like they're zoo animals and everyone's got cameras on them at all times and nobody else. James, hold this man accountable. Well, Charlie's ankle heals up. I mean, look out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think that that's that bold to take. Yeah, I accept that. It's not. That, <laughs> it's well, fun, Tiger though. Woods, it's fun. Did it, it maybe a feel, likely take. I, did you did you feel did you feel any happiness when I said it though? I kind of liked the way you you walked us through it there because I thought maybe you were gonna go triumphant return Royal Liverpool victory triumphant return first Champions Tour victory at the PNC. Wow, good point. Sets up a future career for Tiger Woods on the Champions Tour. It had never occurred to me that actually Justin Thomas is a Champions Tour winner. Yeah, I don't know if it counts. I don't think it does. Someone can't hit putts for you and you can still be considered a Champions Tour victory. It's just, I mean, Dylan, it's just interesting. After last year, the the amount of grief I received for the for the temperature of my takes. I told you they're winning by three. This is I mean, this is a broken man and his in a scramble, year old winning by child. three in a scramble. I believe last year Daniel Berger was about forty to one to win the Masters when you picked him, James. And I think Tiger and Charlie will probably enter at about four or five to one, making your <laughs> your prediction ten times as bold as Sean's. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my, just math. Mine is way more fun. And look, <laughs> who like, does Daniel Berger have a pulse right now? When was the last time you heard from him? That's less fun than Tiger winning the PNC by three. Dylan, what are the odds on that? I don't know. Exactly. You ready for mine? Yeah, let's just move on. I'm sorry. We're going to see three different major championships won by Camerons. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Tringali's getting it done this year? <laughs> After Rory polishes off the Grand Slam at the Masters, we're going to head to Oak Hill where obviously New York native – he grew up a little ways away in the Bronx. Yeah, on the but, streets of the Bronx. Uh, Cameron Young is going to get it done at Oak Hill. We're going to head to the U.S. Open where Cameron Davis is going to surprise some people. Gross. And all of that before the dramatic finale and Cameron Smith repeats as Open champion. That would be sick. Breaking hearts and minds on the PGA Tour. What are the other Camerons out there for us? Tringali, as I noted. Scotty Cameron. Yeah, I don't think he's playing this year. Well, Cameron Champ has fallen off a little bit. Uh, Cameron Percy, probably not going to happen. So you're really looking at the Camerons, Smith Young, Tringali, Davis, Champ. 
Cam Champ is a very good uh, Augusta National player. Yeah, he's played it once. I think you've played once and finished like T11. <laughs> uh that's really fun dylan that's Thank super you. bold i think your your trifecta there would stunt on all of us in the in its uh unlikeliness but uh what i'll do you take like? partial credit too like this is more of like an each way bet oh i don't really know what that means but like if some of these things happen or even if all three cameras finish say in the top five in those predicted events i would just like like some partial credit but that is the prediction yeah. maybe next january we'll give you partial credit what do you like about cameron davis so much well i was talking to patrick cantley actually last week right before we were podcasting and he said he just played lacc and he said it's playing a long uh, playing very long Cameron Davis, excellent long iron player. Mm, do you think it's going to play long in June? When it's Bomber out? of the golf ball. Yeah, I think it will still play long. It won't play quite as long, but yeah, like, you know, we're talking about California. It's not like this is the Dylan, Amex. As, as someone who griped about your, you know, trifecta one, two, three European finishers last year, yes. this one's way more fun. Ah, I commend you for it. I appreciate you saying that. Ready for Jimmy James, wrap up the predictions, James. All right, this is going to lead us into the next uh, into the next topic very seamlessly. But as we all know, there have been some conversations around Greg Norman's job status yep. as the CEO of of Live Golf and Commissioner. Um, and, and you know, we're never one to talk about another man's job here. However, we do it all the time. My prediction <laughs> is that Greg Norman is going to depart Live Golf. In 2023, Liv is going to look for a replacement. And what is the thing that Liv needs most right now from a business standpoint? They need a television deal. And who are they going to look to to help lead the charge for them? Joe Rogan. Baldo. Joe Rogan would be a fun solution, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would radicalize, the, uh, that would radicalize the, the conversation pretty aggressively. They're going to look to... And this is a very hot take. Former ESPN CEO, John Skipper. Ooh. Okay. Skipper is wow. out at ESPN now. He's working with Dan Lebetard at Meadowlark, Lidi- at Meadowlark, Meadowlark Media. Media. Tough name. Surprisingly tough name. <laughs> um, now, this is not to say that he's interested. This is not any sort of informed speculation. Yeah, All can you I'm see seeing- the blogs running with this one now? Golf <laughs> expert predicts John Skipper to live. All I'm saying is that Live Golf badly needs a media um, adult yeah, in the room. Media adult. Very, very badly. And they've shown in the past that they've that they've gone after high-ranking ESPN executives. They've shown in the past an interest in people who have had pretty significant roles. And John Skipper is probably the biggest fish out there in the market right now that's not currently employed by one of the tours broadcast partners yeah that's so interesting uh great take very bold is there any inclination that this kind of thing is actually going to happen or is this like really just shooting this is truly truly just half court heave yeah just a half court heave but i think i i do think there's something to the fact their their next ceo if they wind up going the route of looking for a replacement they're going to want someone with media experience. They, you, they want someone to to handle that those conversations. Yeah. And your studying of John Skipper, does he seem like the kind of person who would take on a role like that? The one as chaotic, like it makes so much sense that Greg Norman is the head of Live Golf, right? 
He's got the golfer experience, the relationships. He brings all the Aussie guys over there. And he was the one who tried doing this 20 plus years ago. So he makes sense. Like what makes sense about John Skipper that he could be like the top dog there? Well, I think the fit is more from a more from a, a business perspective. Yeah. Like what what they need. Yeah. I'm not sure that Skipper would be all that interested in it. He has sort of a checkered past at ESPN for uh, encouraging sort of a greater dialogue around politics on on the airwaves, and that was an extremely unpopular uh, mm. uh, policy, particularly mm-hmm. I would say among the group of people who live would consider you know, their, their strongest supporters. Okay. And so, you know, that side of it, I could see him having some reticence, but huh. at the same time, Skipper went to DAZN, yeah. that, you know, sports network mm-hmm. and was working with them for a period of time before I moved to Meadowlark. I think he's someone who's sort of trying to figure out what his next move is in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I look at this, I mean, what better opportunity to step in and to have a really influential role in sports media than to craft what will be the defining, you know, sports TV media deal of an entire sport for the next however many years. Yeah. Gosh. Is it possible that Liv doesn't get a TV deal? I think it is possible. Now we're trying, are we, are we officially like, Okay. Concluding yeah. hold, our bold hold your predictions there, podcast. James. Let's conclude the bold predictions. I like part. James's line of thinking here for the record. I just don't think he is the right man. Yeah. That's kind of why I asked the questions the way I did. Cause I see that too, but it's hard to predict who would fix true. Uh, or replace. Um, all right. So that was your second prediction. Your first was remind me a reverse defection, reverse defection. Very good. Mine were that tiger and Charlie will win the PNC by three. Apparently no one likes that one. Uh, despite the optimism that it portends for our jobs. Uh, the other one would be that it is going to be a bad year for Augusta National. B-A-D, maybe double D. B-A-D-D, getting bad. Bryson A. DeChambeau. Yeah. Um, Dylan, yours were that there will be a, a run on camera. altercation. Majors and an and, altercation. Yeah. Yeah. How about an altercation between Camerons at Majors? Honestly, I would not – I wouldn't want to – Cross Cameron Young, despite his country club background, he's got just kind of edge to him. Mm. Strong guy. Yeah. Kind of quiet. All right. Well, folks, look, those were six bold predictions without Luke Curtinine. Who knows if any of them will be right? But we must move on to the back half of this podcast, which is a devotion to the state of golf media, which is in flux probably more than it's ever been. As we just discussed with Live Golf, the upstart brand trying to get a, a media deal, trying to get uh, TV rights sold. Um, the PGA Tour is in what? Technically year one now, James, of its... Year two now. Year two of its rights deal. Um, and we've got Golf Channel people coming and going. We've got NBC people coming and going. We've got uh, people getting hired to replace people that were let go. Um, so James is going to break it all down. So let's start with what I asked you. Is it possible that Live Golf is starting in six weeks, six weeks from now? Is it possible that they do not have a TV deal when they start and even maybe when they're finished uh, their season? I think it's possible. Absolutely. I think it's unlikely. Why though? That's the thing I don't understand is because 
if there has been a stench, if you will, when it comes to live golf, such that Fox, FS1, FS2, like, did not want to get paid to open up their airwaves for live golf, uh, obviously the major partners that are with the PGA Tour are looking at it as a competing brand. But, like, why is it likely that it's going to happen? I just don't understand the value. If Has the value of Live Golf been proven? That's really the question. Uh, I don't think it has. Yeah. I, I think what we're looking at right now is is desperation from Live. Yeah. I think, I think we're seeing them reach a point where they have promised that this is going to be on some sort of broadcast network. We were promised it was going to happen in October, November of last yeah. year. Like this isn't, they never promised. Oh yeah. yeah. By the end of next started next year, we'll be golden. They, I, they I just think, I think reputationally for them, it's so important to have someone, it, it doesn't matter who it is, but just someone broadcasting it. Yeah. And I think to that end, especially because we've seen now that they're willing to pay for the, the slot, yeah. their airtime, yeah. and then also willing to help sell advertisements on behalf <laughs> of, you know, the network which is not totally unusual for the world of golf, but yeah. still a pretty notable development considering everything else. I think what we'll see is Liv will reach a point of desperation where they say, all right, these are the options on the table. We got to pick one of them. I think something that we could see is it be a very short-term deal. As we've seen with the PGA Tour, their rights deals normally run 10 years in length or this yeah. most recent run is 10 years. I, I would be surprised if Liv signed a 10-year deal. I think we're looking at something much more in the short term. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I think it's the desperation factor for them. I think that's what's going to push them over the edge. I'm just not proven by like it. If if you are considering Live Golf as a media organization and what you were delivered or what the potential of Live Golf delivered at the team championship your two best teams coming down to the wire, your two best players playing together, Dustin Johnson beating Cam, uh, Cam Smith by one stroke on the final green. Like, what more would you want? If, if you just change the names a little bit to like PGA Tour players, the, the yeah. tours through the roof with that finish. And so if that didn't do it, what's going to do it? I think that the best argument in Liv's favor is that these things take time. And I mean, sports is like so intertwined with, tradition and history do and, they have time well yeah i mean based on everything they've said the runway is pretty long mm -hmm. so not that live has a history of only telling, telling the truths truth. but <laughs> yeah i mean i think there's a question of whether a there's uh there's an incompetence to live that eventually is going to catch up to them and if these latest uh departures from their business sides reflect that but at the same time this kind of follows a pattern with live where every time we kind of write it off it's partly just because they haven't made any noise for a little while mm -hmm. and they haven't been dead before and we've repeatedly encouraged people <laughs> not to write them off we're not dead yet not dead yet there's just a lot of money there it's just a question of whether yeah the pif gets taken in by a different shiny new thing but i don't they there's a couple guys involved here that really really like golf and really want this to work and within the ecosystem i mean sean you went to multiple live events on the ground at those things people are drinking the kool-aid i oh, mean yeah. people are convinced and Drunk there on. are 
there is a loyal following and there is a certain atmosphere on the ground. And I think that, I think that could be convincing. So I think there are two sides to it, right? There's the analytics side of it, which is looking at the broadcasts, looking at how many people watch them, looking at all the underlying data and all of that would seem to work against live in their pursuit of getting what is in any way a substantial TV deal. And then you add on, you know, all of the other things that come with live with its financiers and all of that, that is all working against them as far as getting a TV deal. What's working in favor of them is that there has never been a better money-making bet in television than live sports. And for a potential broadcast partner, you could be standing at the very top of the cliff as the snowball gets rolling down. Mm. And when you get that first deal, if the sponsors start rolling in, if if the ball keeps rolling, interest keeps growing, that could be a massively profitable endeavor. And that's why I feel pretty optimistic that someone is going to take the plunge. Um, but you know, you have to get over what the other side of it is. And that's not an easy thing to get over, especially when it's your dollars and your network and your, your airtime that's all up on the line for it. It's funny thinking about the, the way corporations are sort of lining up on the PGA tour versus, um, versus on live. I mean, even just at century this weekend, the, uh, century CEO, this guy, Pete McPartland, and he stood up and, basically said look we we've signed on for this tournament until 2035 and essentially said this is us aligning ourselves with the pga tour this is where we think the best golf is going to be played and it's funny the way this has become so tribal all the way up to sponsors and what we haven't seen yet is really anyone plant their flag any any sponsor that's not owned or affiliated directly with the Saudi government planted yeah. a flag with live. And I guess the way that that would ultimately look would be a bunch of people doing it at the same time, like this domino effect, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, this would be something to discuss with, uh, with John wall when he comes on to talk about equipment, but whether the manufacturers ever sort of commit more than, um, than just playing like middleman. Yeah. I mean, still supplying I, those guys with clubs. There's going to be pressure to do potential. that soon. There's going to be pressure to do that. Well, soon. there's pressure to do that. If there are reliable, large numbers of eyeballs, if there's, if there's evidence that these guys are moving merch, but well, and again, this is a different conversation and this is uh, a part of this conversation and the gear conversation, but you're seeing, you're seeing companies in the golf space invest differently and you're seeing them invest yep. with different types of media. I mean, even this last week you saw Callaway sign good, good Titleist now has no laying up. TaylorMade has Barstool. It's like every we are unsigned currently. Drop this zone is currently <laughs> we are in the market because we agents. are, uh, I mean, we're, we're above all that. We obviously are neutral <laughs> until someone buys Mizuna, us. Come at me. That's right. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I think people are just looking for alternative ways to get a significant return. If Liv is somehow going to prove that they can move a lot of golf clubs or merchandise or whatever it is, yeah, someone's going to do that. Especially when you consider 
how short term some of these agreements can really be. Like live is in no. All right, but then is that's the calculation, isn't it? Is can you do a short term deal with live, or is this a the sort of thing where once you do it, kind of sticks with you? I feel like you can't be the first person <laughs> and yeah. do a short term agreement. Maybe if you're the fifth person, you you can do a short term agreement. Um, but I think the first the first domino that has to fall has to be a significant one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that's been the problem to this point. But also to your point, like Century signing on to 2035, like that's an optimistic way to view the world, <laughs> let alone the PGA <laughs> yeah. Tour. Like that's that's wild. So I, I don't think you're going to see that level of buy-in and live like f- from anyone. All right, let's let's flip to something we know like slightly more about, which is PGA Tour broadcasts. Um, and the different ways that you're going to be able to watch professional golf this year. We just saw NBC's debut. Um, they showed Century. There were some fun gadgets that they debuted. Uh, a bunch of drones in action. It's funny. I was watching Colin Morikawa line up his chip on the 15th. Uh, he was he was short right of the par 5, 15th and 2. And it's this side slope. It's super grainy. He had about 40 yards. And there was a drone on the ground, maybe another 50 yards behind him. And I saw the pilot just take off with the drone. I was like, oh, this is how it happens. This mm-hmm. is. And then the drone kind of circled around a little bit. I'm not sure if that was the live shot on TV. Um, but then sure enough, Morikawa just laid the sod over this chip. <laughs> so it wasn't quite like the beautiful moment that I thought it would be. But... We got golf balls rolling. We got drones following them. We've got some nice visual developments. What else is happening at NBC, James? We've got commercial-free golf. Yes. Well, we had it at least yeah yesterday. Once. At least one time, which is the first time ever for that's NBC sweet. covering the PGA Tour in yeah. prime time slot. So that's been done at major championships in the past, right? Correct. The yeah. final hour of coverage for it's the done Open. done every year at the U.S. Open. That's okay. a tradition. By Presented by Rolex? Yes. In this case, presented by Callaway? Callaway was this presenting sponsor oh for this. God, what is that worth? Any idea? It's it's a lot of money. Yeah, um, it really is. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite a one-to-one, whereas, you know, you would think of it, I'm buying an hour's worth of TV. I have to pay, you know, for... Mm-hmm. 20 advertisements the cost of yeah. 20 it's not quite that especially when you consider Callaway has a long running relationship with NBC they're not going anywhere anytime they're soon they're also doing NBC a favor absolutely yeah like, like prove how great you are this broadcast is keep people enwrapped we're not going to distract away from what you guys do best show it to us yeah but it's expensive still i mean i saw a report the other day the average cost of a nationally televised tv slot is somewhere around a hundred thousand dollars when you factor in the fact that this is a primetime broadcast slot for a live television event that has some pretty marquee players i would think the average cost is higher than that but it's also hard to know what nbc is assigning Mm -hmm. as their value to that you know we don't know what that is um, but yeah, it's an expensive proposition, but it's also, if you look at it from a business standpoint, smart, smart for NBC to sign up for it and smart to Callaway to take advantage of it. They yeah. own that last hour when everyone is tuning in to watch. Yeah. And one of their boys won it 
Yeah, which yeah, was a cherry on top. Literally definitely. just like an hour of, hey, here's our best player hitting our driver, presented by us. It is no funny. interruptions. It's funny that, you know, in presenting that last hour commercial free, you have to you have to make sure to pat yourself on the back pretty significantly for <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Because you're look at so us. yeah, you have to say, Wow, look how great this is that we're not being interrupted by commercials. Thanks to Callaway. When I do that, like when I give <laughs> gifts to my friends and I think it's a really good gift, I'll spend the rest of the night telling them, hey, that gift it's I got you, gift. it's pretty awesome. So It's part of the game. But then also <laughs> at NBC, there there have been changes on, on the on-air side as yeah, well. Yeah, let's talk about personnel. Yeah. So we had Roger Malpe and Gary Koch leave, leave as part of this off-season of changes at NBC. Um, I, would, I was really taken by how unpopular Roger's departure seems or at least felt on the ground. What does that mean? I mean, I saw you tweet that, but I was curious what it meant. I mean, I just had several conversations. It sort of just kept coming up where people are, uh, upset that he didn't get to go out on his own terms. Uh, A couple different people. Well, one player said he thought that he was absolutely the best at what he did. A caddy said um, he thought that he was just like a true pro, like unprompted. I wasn't even talking about this. <laughs> um, so, and I think people just feel like he got a raw deal and they should have, you know, gone out on his own terms, basically. Do you think he's the best at what he did? Um, I think he's just a fixture. I think one of his, yeah, one I think of his we were greatest, comfortable with him, Uncle yeah, Raj. And he was an icon and he was, he was more famous than most of the players that he was covering. Like when he would cruise around in his golf cart, at courses fans were shouting out to him as much as they were to the actual players that he was covering, which was kind of interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to separate the two, like him being great at his job, him providing specific value um, with the fact that he was just such a beloved fixture on the broadcast. To your point too, I, I have had people at NBC reach out to me to to share similar sentiments. I, I think that, you know, he he was a he was definitely a fixture, but he was also very good at what he did. So I, why did he lose his job? Do you know? That's a that's like <laughs> no, but I like what going on many layers above the golf. Talking the golf. about people, talking about a man's yeah. job here. <laughs> no, I, I mean like why why would they move away from him? Is the question. Well, I personally don't know. There are, yeah. There are a lot of factors going on at NBC right now. One of them being that NBC Universal has been given this edict by Comcast yeah. to cut a billion dollars in spending. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's part of, to some degree yeah. that's falling on NBC Sports, but I don't know to what degree. Yeah. I don't know that that's falling, that that was the decision for mm-hmm. him. Um, but I think that's part of it. I yeah. think part of it is a desire to get younger, younger. A, des- a desire to, you know, expand. That's kind of what I was asking for. Yeah. Right? Because who did they hire? Smiley Kaufman in exactly. his place. And yeah. he, he is a young, very marketable guy to fill that role. If very you were to pick pl- someone to leave, to fill the spot left by Roger Maltby, you would want someone of Smiley's uh, standing in, and in the world of golf. Like, I mean, Smiley was just a knockout hire for so many reasons. But like, if Jordan Spieth is, com- is contending the last five holes of a tour event and Smiley Kaufman is walking with his group if you want to know what jordan's thinking smiley coffin's yeah. going to get you that information colt nose can do it too but like absolutely you know there's a few people who can get that 
that's the bet is that you are going to get better information yeah. if you are a friend figure yeah. than if you are a you know beloved uncle figure yeah um i personally tend to think you're going to get the same information yeah <laughs> either way i don't think the information you're getting from an on-course reporter while that's a super important role mm -hmm. i think you're talking about a lot of really smart really qualified people where everyone can do it to an enjoyable level yeah where you will you know have enjoy watching them on the broadcast mm -hmm. and hearing and learning from them but it's just a matter of what the look you want is what the feel you want is and then if you add in the fact that there is a cost component here, sure. I'm I'm sure that that is part of the discussion as well yeah. at the end of the day. It was interesting seeing Smiley yesterday. I mean, as John Rahm and Tom Kim teed off on 18 and Rahm essentially, if he makes birdie there, it's over. Um, Smiley was right there with him, kind of bounding down the 18th fairway, talking to Tom Kim. They, they were excited to be chatting with him. Like he is. Yeah, but you weren't listening to the broadcast. I you was don't not know what happened. The broadcast. Rom hit it just left of the hole, uh, just off the green. Yep, just long and left. Couldn't quite get a good view on it with the cameras, and uh, Hicks was like, "Smiley, what's his uh, what's his lie look like?" And Smiley was not in position. Oh, he's like, "I don't know. I'm still working my way up there." And Azinger like took over and was like, "Well, it doesn't look like it's that bad of a lie." Well, he was talking to Tom Kim. Yeah. I'll tell you that <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, I'm sure that there are still some yeah. like learning on the fly. You yeah, know, it's hard. You're yeah. trying to build a plane while flying. That's yeah. what that's what all of that is. So who else did they hire? Uh, Brad Faxon yeah. is a big is a big additional uh, addition. Just the facts. I can tell you, I have a very personal uh, positive bias towards Brad I because was, I was hoping you're going to say like a I got beef, <laughs> personal <laughs> beef. Unfortunately, about this. unfortunately, Brad has been nothing but a a true gentleman to me to this point in my career when mm -hmm. i was a 19 year old intern at fox i met brad for the first time mm -hmm. and he shepherded me around the the broadcast booth wow. for the next couple of days yeah, so, so you're not I, impartial yeah so you know i i <laughs> i think it's important to admit my biases i am definitely biased in yeah. his favor he's but, a smart dude though and i think it's also worth noting something interesting about both of these hires yes they got younger yes they they hired from outside but in both cases, they hired people who had previous broadcast experience on NBC. So it's not like they're bringing in yeah. complete strangers, complete wild cards into the fold. So as much as this was a shakeup in the broadcast, I think when you look at what NBC was doing as a whole, they brought in some pretty experienced voices in the long run. And guys that are embedded. I mean, yeah. Brad Faxon is still very much a part of that. Uh, he helps Roy with his putting. Area. Like, yeah. Like putting the best player in the world <laughs> gets tips from this guy. It's funny how golf, as as much as golf has gone to, you know, measuring everything uh, as, as data and analytics driven as it has gotten, there are still like these whisperers. Like, yeah. He's a whisperer. Matt Fitzpatrick was talking about adding uh, weight to the tip of his grips, and he's talked to Jack Nicholas about doing that. And Brad Faxon <laughs> is this legendary putter, and you know he's still giving guys advice. And wow. So anyway, he is uh, very much part of that scene. These guys are both insiders in their own way. Um. So yeah, I think they're great hires. I think that people are right to be sad about about Gary and Roger leaving. Also. I think both things can be true. The one thing I'm not sad about is that 
It always bothered me when Raj called it a sand iron instead of a sandwich. Mm. That's all I got to say. What's next on our media rundown? Shall we rundown? talk about CBS? <laughs> <laughs> One more word on, uh, I was just in Hawaii for the first time watching golf, and the the whole Mark Rolfing runs Hawaii thing is, if anything, understated. Like That man is the glue of the operation down there. I was thinking to myself this weekend that he should run for elected office in Hawaii. Like <laughs> The governor was there on uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, I mean, the guy was on like Hawaiian early morning TV and then was doing Golf Channel <laughs> and, you know, hosting dinners with the Century people, hosting events with Tony Finau and Tom Kim, Russell Henley. Like he was just kind of everywhere. He's the mayor of the place. He seems to be... Uh, you know, assistant tournament director, and then he also calls the action. So he is signed on for a couple more years with NBC. Um, obviously, not a, a full time role like those other guys, but yeah, he'll be do- calling some action, doing some studio work. Yeah, that was a little de chair scoop. A that was media a little, scoop. A little de chair scoop. That's fun. Assistant to the, hot the mic. James Colgan hot <laughs> mic. You know, everybody eats in in this in this family. Hey, raise your hand if you wrote a. Hot mic media story in the last two weeks. That's if you well, can't two and see a half. it, but everyone is. I guess I didn't tag mine. Hot mic. Yeah. Apologies. To James. The logo wasn't on it, but hey, thanks for we'll count hand, it. Dylan. James, why did Nick Faldo leave CBS? Well, it's a it's a loaded question, right? I think there are a few answers. I think the first answer and the one that he's given to everyone is that he wanted a break. He had been on the road since he was a teenager. He went immediately into broadcasting after leaving professional golf. And I think he said, it's time. It's time for me to do something else with my winter months and my summer months. And to that end, I can definitely understand it. Um, I think under under the, the surface, there was an element of something that we've seen with some other analysts over the years, which is that, you know, you reach a degree of being on television so frequently facing the criticism that comes with being on television so frequently that that you grow leery of being your truest self yeah. in an interaction. Yeah. And I, you know, Nick has Nick did not say this to me when I when I spoke to him at the at the PNC, but I certainly sensed it from talking with him where there was an element of him feeling a little bit reticent to talk to me. There was a wall up there. Yeah. And then once we finally started talking and, and you know, we were able to just chat, he completely opened up and was the version of himself where he was at his most entertaining on television. Mm-hmm. But I think he lost a piece of that as time went on. So I think as he put all of those things together and he looked at why, you know, wh- where am I my happiest? How do I get to being my happiest? I think he made the decision, you know, it's time for me to move on. And I, I I don't think CBS was responsible for pushing him out because I spoke to Sean McManus about this and he told me it was Nick's decision. It was not our decision. Yeah. I mean, based on what you're saying and, and the lovely article you wrote on the subject, it seems like it just stopped being as fun for him. Yeah. And I mean, Faldo was sort of at his best when he was at his quirkiest and goofiest and that's when <laughs> yeah. he seemed happiest. But that was also the version of him that, pissed the most people off probably people that <laughs> wanted a little more i don't know solemnity and and seriousness in their broadcast and when he missed the mark then it it really kind of 
could land with a thud. And then people started zeroing in on that. So, yeah, I mean, maybe not the perfect ending, but in some ways, I guess, if the Faldo farm thing is as good as he's (laughs) making it look, then maybe it is. Yeah, a couple months, you'll the that'll be the last you'll be hearing of me. I'll be boarding a flight <laughs> to Bozeman, and uh, a couple of years, you'll see me on on the back of a cattle somewhere in uh, rural Montana. I I know that Paul Azinger does not get a ton of love for what he says on the broadcast, but I just thought what I discussed earlier when Smiley Kaufman was not in position to tell Dan Hicks what the read looked like or what the lie looked like, Azinger acted like the baton had fallen to the ground he scooped it up and ran with it and Absolutely. i didn't think nick faldo ever did that and, and i just like golf broadcasts are long man like you're you're going on the air for many hours and a lot of it is fill hours and there's there's things that you can't you, there's nothing to work off in the moment and it just felt like he wasn't giving us i'm probably the person who didn't love his his goofy nature as much because it was like wait no give me something that your six time major winning brain thinks about this that you're seeing and it just felt like he didn't have it towards the end to give as much and i that i didn't really like him at at the end i've seen people in my mentions saying you know how is it possible that paul azinger survived for longer in the lead analyst chair than than nick faldo did and when you look at it from a golf resume standpoint i you like i, I yeah. understand but from a television standpoint i can tell you and this is not to say anything about about nick faldo because Everyone who I've spoken to about him has spoken very positively about working with him. Yeah. But Azinger is beloved at NBC. Yeah. And he was beloved at Fox before that. He's just a team player through and through. He's a guy that people love working with. And in that instance you gave, that's a prime example of where he is truly at his best. Yeah. You know, a lot of television is just making it look like it wasn't a mistake. (laughs) That's, That's a lot of it. And he does such a good job of kind of covering up those mm-hmm. blemishes along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might not even notice it. And I, I understand the criticisms about, you know, sometimes his his flavor can go just a little bit yeah. too to the extreme. And mm-hmm. I, I totally see it. Um, but I think there's a reason why he's stuck around for as long as he has. Yeah. Um, his flavor is a good way of putting it. I'll never forget. Speaking of Mark Rolfing, the day Dylan and I walked around St. Andrews, the day after Camp Smith won, we ran into Rolfing and Azinger. And it was like we were around Azinger for, what, 10 seconds, Dylan? Five, yeah. five seconds. And um, the idea of Camp Smith putting came up. We're like, what did you think of that? And he like basically like whipped around and told us like he was hitting his putt so pure they would have fell into a thimble. And – it was like, wait, am I watching a broadcast right now? Is that like an is it Azingerism that like, is it just like press button like W and like that pops out? Like he's a robot with these things. That but no, that's it was flavor. refreshing though to like see those guys in their element. The reason we saw them is because we were we were kind of curious because someone had just fired a slice onto the road that's right of the 18th hole at the old course onto the top of a van. Yeah. And these two guys are such golf nuts that they were like totally tickled by the whole thing too. And I think that's a key to being in the profession, right? You have to think it's cool. You have to get enthusiastic and excited Mm -hmm. about it. You have to genuinely be impressed when someone like Cameron Smith is doing something like what he did there. Yeah. So yeah, I I thought that that was a cool moment. Yeah. 
Definitely was. Uh, what are the other things we got to talk about media wise? Tell me about ESPN Plus because, well, you just tell me your first impressions, James. We're now, I mean, a little bit over a year into the ESPN Plus streaming deal with the PGA Tour, um, replacing the original PGA Tour Live. How's it going? I think by just about every measure, it's going extraordinarily well. Um, I think when you look at it from a strategic perspective, from a business perspective, from a uh, golf perspective, it has been a massive success for the PGA Tour. Yeah, They significantly increased the amount of money they were making. They significantly increased the number of hours that they're on television and they're, or that they're streaming and showing, you know, showing golf. And they significantly increase the number of people who can watch their broadcasts on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. That is a three-team yeah. teaser ding, that'll ding, make ding. anyone happy. So yeah, I think it's been an unmitigated success. What was the stat that the PGA Tour really wanted to get out there about their success with ESPN Plus? They were the most watched property on ESPN from January to August. So is that like is that like most year. minutes watched? Most minutes watched. Okay. So. So they're obviously at an advantage because they yes. have the most hours to, to yes. go up. Have you ever watched Russell Westbrook play a basketball game? But, but because <laughs> that's we, what that reminded me of. We should we should credit them for that though, sure. because they they tripled the number of hours that they were on that they were streaming in 2022. Yeah, that's awesome. tripled that over the previous year. So yes, the stat is a bit of a misnomer when you when you you know put it up. It's important. It like they had a great game in the way that Russell Westbrook like gets counting numbers puts <laughs> right, well, shots up gets shots on the board yeah but he also has turnover like it just felt like you were on tv the most and a lot of people tuned in for it which is a win yeah but you were on tv more than any other sport yeah and so you were maybe gonna win but let's talk specifics like what as a consumer you know forget about it from espn side as a consumer what is better about the espn plus experience i think being able to find golf more easily getting a lot of things in addition to a golf subscription. Yeah, uh, it doesn't cost that much either. Previously, you were paying more or less the same amount for just access to PGA Tour yes. Live, which yep. was broadcasting 33% of the amount. Yeah, now you get you can watch Union men's basketball on some days. You get... That sounds like a personal... Well, I just happened to log, log on yesterday, and I think that... That was maybe what popped on. La Liga, Dylan. Bundesliga. Bundesliga. The FA Cup. The NHL. All kinds of things on ESPN Plus for what? $6 a month or something I like that? I think it's $9.99. Yeah, okay, the price has increased, but but the offerings have increased too. Yeah. I think I think from a viewer perspective, the thing that you want more than anything is access to golf. Access to golf when it's not on television and the ability to tune in to a variety of different feeds, not just one mainstream broadcast, you know, showing you all the shots, the yeah. ability to have a featured group and all of that stuff. ESPN Plus, I think, hits on all of those Yeah, things. it's for the sickos, right? The streaming quality is also amazing. Really, really good. It's funny, I had this moment of realization because Shot Tracer has been the thing, right? And there was a moment where Matt Fitzpatrick hit a shot that I was, uh, you know, I'd pulled up the stream in the media center. And I realized as cool as Shot Tracer is, what's even cooler is when you can literally see the golf ball flying towards the target. <laughs> you can see it the whole way. And because the sky was like such a bright blue and it was, uh, you could see it with such clarity, you could just see the ball the entire way. And I was like, I don't think I've ever fully seen 
a ball go like 180 yards start to finish on television uh rory's three wood at valhalla on number 10 like low screaming like Uh, yeah fair enough i guess with (laughs) i guess with like stingers you can kind of but yeah no those are the best shots to watch they they feel more real than the ones with the big blue line chasing after them um i i think espn plus has been such a hit because it's just it's come at the exact same time that gambling on the pga tour has become so embedded for the sickos the people that will track a leaderboard thursday through sunday and you know it's actually it 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 actually meshes maybe with the degenerate gambler more than any other sport because you don't really have to be correct about the who's winning the tournament that week but they are literally handing you a trio of players you get to pick one of them they all got different odds and you're going to watch every single shot that they hit because they're in a featured group on espn plus that's the ultimate gambling thing and like shot by shot hole by hole holy cow hideki just hit uh hit it to three feet and cam young hit it to 10 feet but you can bet a cam young success to make the same score as hideki and then you can yeah. do that six other times in the next hour and a half all because you're watching espn well plus. and hey you want to bring up the featured hole you get some insight on a par three. You yeah. start to think oh. about, oh, here's something I've There's learned. There's a little backstop. And then you can bet as a fast player wins that hole. As a as pretty, you know, pure soul. I'm not not a sports Is that gambler right? at all. This has been a very eye opening to hear. You're not hear a the you're not a you. sports gambler at all, James. Very, very, very minimally. Do you believe him? Yeah. No, we've actually talked about this before which is the only reason I do, because I think James would have a fair amount of insight. But no, I mean, for me personally, this is, it sounds kind of hypothetical because the idea of betting that granular, like who's going to hit the green on a par three, besides like people doing it when they're sitting in the bleachers, it doesn't necessarily make that much sense to me. Um, but I know there's people that it makes a lot of sense to. Not, nothing about sports gambling makes a whole lot of sense. I'll say, yeah, if you can find an edge or if you think you can find an edge, there's people interested. Um, all right. Anything from the the grab box, James? I mean, there's been interesting stuff this week. I noticed um, on PGA Tour Live, they pulled in that no laying up or a clip from that no laying up YouTube video that they made with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. That felt like, uh, you know, breaking of the fourth wall to some extent, the blurring of the the lines um is there are there any trends that you're generally intrigued by well that that was a pretty interesting trend but i think it speaks to something that's kind of like just generally true about sports media which is like if you make a good thing it'll get seen by a lot of people i think that was a, that was a good example of that um but i would say uh, other trends i'm generally interested in first off we still haven't seen cbs this year Trevor Immelman is stepping into the role. Oh yeah, lead analyst. That was in my notes, but the Faldo talk I just skipped right by it. That's um. Well, I'm interested to see what the broadcast looks like with a younger voice, especially with Immelman's voice, because he's he's a really sharp guy, very connected guy to the PJ Tour. So I'm interested to hear from him. That's an interesting one, and it's it's not new anymore to have Trevor involved in the broadcast at all, but. To have someone be so close to some of these players, I mean, he was about as emotionally involved and a team captain as I can remember. Uh, and when he was at the President's Cup with those international guys, like they were, they were forming some pretty serious bonds. 
I guess that's true in other sports too. Um, but golf really does have a particularly chummy relationship between, you know, the media members that cover it and the the broadcasters that cover it and the participants, right? I would say absolutely. Like, I think the best broadcasters are the ones who know everyone yeah. and have the ability to get information from everyone too. Although it is it does remain a reason that Brandel sticks out in NBC's studio shows and in that uh, live from booth. Speaking <laughs> of sickos and speaking of people devoted to their craft, I mean, I know he's not the most popular guy because he he does rub some people the wrong way, but. God, I'm just almost always impressed with Brandel's work. His uh, his level of preparation is unlike anything I've seen working across, interning in a lot of different networks, seeing a yes. lot of different different things in the media world. He is absolutely insane about his attention to detail. I always shout out um, like Paul Kimmage interviews when they're about Rory, but Paul Kimmage's piece that he did on Brandel Chambly at this year's Open Championship is worth a read, worth a one-week subscription to the uh, Irish Independent, I guess. All right, so Immelman, anything else? Any rising stars we should know about that aren't on our radar? James Colgan himself? The drop zone. One other thing to keep an eye out for, there's been a lot of movement. This is not something that that the typical drop zone listener probably cares about, but there's been a lot of movement in the PGA tours, international media rights. Oh yeah. Discovery golf TV. What's going on there. They're a couple of years into a multi-billion dollar deal. Um, when they signed it, the plan was to run something like the old PGA tour live, but on Discovery's platform pretty soon after they signed it, they decided they were going to move to something a little bit more like ESPN plus on discovery plus yeah um but i think what we're seeing now is discovery is in the midst of this very strange business time where they've just completed this huge merger with warner media they're kind of figuring out what assets they really want to have down the line and what assets they aren't as interested in um and the movement that's been going on there there's nothing to say that that Discovery is is not interested or is not looking to stick around with the PGA Tour for the duration of their deal, but that's something that I'm I'm definitely monitoring in the new year. That's that's a big story. We're monitoring it all here on the Drop Zone. Sean, anything to add? Any media storylines you're watching? Uh, no, just the fact that we're up over seventy minutes now, and that's when the good stuff starts. All right, I'll just add with one little thought: is I mean, I guess we're all trying to figure this stuff out, right? There's nothing more. There's nothing that the media likes to talk about more than the media, I guess. Oh, and up and coming YouTube channel at Drop Zone Golf. Oh yes. Go to YouTube, search it, Drop Zone Golf. We well, gotta add some more stuff to it. Your favorite, yeah. Um, we're working on it. We're out here in LA shooting some stuff. Content coming, LA golf. Uh, just get excited for it. Um, and you know, it's it's just interesting to see how this stuff all progresses. I mean, you look at the Century Media Center, it was filled with different types of people the last couple of days. You know, we're figuring it out. There's different things happening. The written word, not dead yet. Videos. We're fighting the good fight. Podcasts. A little bit of everything. You can get it all at golf.com, but really you can get it all in the drop zone. James, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I hope I brought my takes up to the sufficient temperature this year. Sean? Any thoughts? Well done. Oh, 
All right. We'll see you next week.